Hello, and welcome everyone for another episode of the Culture Nerd Podcast. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about some some cool things that we liked. Uh, we want to discuss, honestly, uh, the big rumors and the news that Joe Manganiello is returning as Deathstroke. That kind of swept the internet over the weekend and blew everyone's minds a little bit. But you know, we also had a new Gundam show premiere over the weekend, popped up on Crunchyroll, and honestly, Michael and I loved it to pieces, and we are both super excited to talk about it. And then lastly, now that we're a third of the way in of the first season of Andor, let's talk about it. We've had four episodes over two weeks, and we have plenty to say, because honestly, it's different. Boop. How's it going? Hello. Well, uh, over the weekend, as we, I'll just jump right into it, honestly, because people, uh, people want to know about this. Over the weekend, Daniel RPK, some news leaked. I'm not sure if it was on his Patreon or if it was on Twitter. If it was on Twitter, I didn't see it. But uh, some news leaked that he said Joe Manganiello is 100% slated to return as Deathstroke. And to return, meaning... The only real appearance that he has had as the character following that five-minute scene he had at the end of Justice League, and both Justice Leagues for that matter. So, um, as people remember, the original Justice League, uh, not the original, the, the theatrical Justice League, had ended with him saying maybe we should make a league of our own, which implied that Lex Luthor was looking to make the Legion of Doom, which was actually something they had planned to do. And in the Snyder Cut, the same scene existed, minus that reshot scene, but it existed to set up the Batfleck film, which had uh, Deathstroke hunting down Bruce Wayne and his family. Uh, his family being like... Uh, Alfred, Robin, Gordon, Batgirl. Um, Batgirl and, and Robin aren't, aren't in that canon, but they can be now because we have... They, they could show up and get shot in the head right away is what they yeah. could do. But um, over the weekend, he put that out. Uh, the internet went to storm. And I, you know, I just kind of reached out. I was like, hey, you know, maybe I should just start asking people around. So I asked around. Uh, first things first, I shot Daniel RPK a text message because I do have, I do have him. On, I, so I texted him. I asked him, hey, is it real? Are you really saying that? Uh, and he said, yeah. And my response obviously was my go-to gift that I send to everybody. Uh the Medea gif, uh, hell to the yeah, because I love that one so much. Um, and I asked him, I, I pegged, I deep, dived in a little bit deeper, asking him if he had any idea of where it was coming from, what was happening, if it was a Batfleck project, if it was something else. Um, he said he had no idea. He just heard that Joe's back and he's digging into it more. Um, I shot a few text messages, a couple of my friends in the, the, uh, the WB sphere um, and they all kind of said the same thing. Uh, they don't really know where he is, but last they heard was it's not for a Batfleck project, and it's more likely for James Gunn's uh, upcoming Suicide Squad sequel. Not the uh, Peacemaker Season 2, but uh, the whole um, setup that they had with Amanda Waller going after the defectors. And it sounds like Amanda Waller needed a bodyguard. And mind you, this was actually part of the original Gavin O'Connor plan when he had his Suicide Squad set up um, where she had... Uh, Amanda Waller had her bodyguard, which was Deathstroke. It was kind of like a footnote in the, in the script leaks, but it was uh, a thing. So it sounds like we're probably going to see Joe back fully suited up, maybe in a different costume, but he may be, rumor has it, he may be a bodyguard to Amanda Waller. Are they shooting Peacemaker right now? As far as I can tell, they're not. I don't know. I, I mean, James Gunn just got married this last week, and I don't think they're shooting it yet. I think they're waiting... Um, to like all of the chips fall for the merger and some of the changes that they're happening because it sounds like James Gunn's stuff is still happening but um, obviously we keep saying this uh, the studio is cash poor right now so they're kind of waiting for some funds to free up and uh, what do we got coming out in like two weeks three weeks is uh, Black Adam and yeah. it's so far the tracking numbers today actually said it's opening weekend or opening day tracking Supposed to be about sixty million, which is pretty now, good. Is that how do movies work now, Taylor? Because movies open Wednesday night. Like you can, I can find some movies Wednesday night, definitely Thursday night at eight o'clock. So is that sixty million for Friday, or is that the three days in between? I think it's honestly the three days in between. I think okay. they're counting that as the Friday numbers, which is the lead up to that Friday, which um, is fine. I mean, as long as the movie does. Um, 
decent. I mean, if it makes its money back, if it doesn't, if it makes its money back, then hooray. It has to, it for it to even be a conversation in the future, it has to bare minimum make its money back. Yeah. No, I think we talked about it before. For it to be considered successful, it needs to make around eight hundred million, minimum. Ugh, which is a lot. That's mm-hmm. a that's a lot. That's a lot of cheese. It is, but I think a lot of people tend to forget is that for it to be successful, it just needs to break even, because the new studio in charge didn't really pay for this film. It was the last people who paid for it. So. Uh, for sure, Deathstroke is going to get a new costume. There's nothing wrong with his other costume other than that mask is not functional. That is a mask that works if me and you are standing here and I can talk to you. But he can't do an action sequence in that mask. It needs to be a little bit more functional and breathing. I mean, I mean he could. It'd be kind of cool to see it. Um, I would like to see them change it up a little bit, but uh, we'll see. I mean, because a lot of the uh, the Snyder purists say that Deathstroke has to wear the same costume because that costume exists in the Nightmare timeline, and I get that. I get that argument. But we also have to remember that the studio isn't necessarily following that timeline, and they're not really following the last timeline either. They're kind of doing their own thing, so it's kind of going to be this weird hodgepodge between two timelines. Which I, I hear you, but superheroes change costumes all the time, so that's not a good... like. Batman has a room filled with costumes. So like, that's not a good enough answer, Uh, but it makes sense. You know what I mean? If they're trying to court all of these people that kind of got spurred from beforehand and got burned and they have all of this stuff made for them, why would you not try to bring these people back? You know, these are all fine actors. It's not like, it's like, Oh, we'll go get another death stroke. It's like, who? I mean, that's the thing that came up last week with the Superman stuff of like, well, who else is going to play Superman? I don't know. So let's just get the last guy who was playing Superman. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of people realize at the studio is that obviously they have all these contracts lying around. They contracted all these actors for multiple roles, and as long as they're not the last people in charge, a lot of these actors wouldn't have a problem with coming back for these roles as long as the role works. Yeah. So um, I think that's a big, big win right there. I mean, for a lot of people, it's um, – I think for a lot of people, you got to kind of look at it this way. I mean – Obviously, restoring the Snyderverse is going to be an extremely expensive endeavor, and the new studio hasn't even looked at it as a possibility. But as long as we get these actors and these key players back into the mix, that's kind of a win, right? Yeah, that's the thing that, like, I don't think we're going to get an announcement of a $300 million project because they don't have $300 million. But... All of a sudden, all of the Lego pieces start coming back into place. Hello. I don't know, guys. All the Lego pieces start coming in there. It's like, well, isn't that the movie then? Wasn't that all the people we were trying to get back to do the movie? So we're talking about um, Deathstroke returning. Okay, yeah. So first and foremost, where did this news come from? Because I've heard people talking about it. I didn't see the actual news drop. Uh, Catch up to speed on that. Daniel RPK, he dropped it. Okay. And sorry, you caught me. I was eating my like <laughs> Talk, dang it. <laughs> Daniel RPK <laughs> dropped it. Um, I reached out to a few people and they all kind of corroborated it, saying, Yeah, it's probably happening. Hmm. And um, everyone I've spoken to said all kind of the same thing. It's uh it's likely not a Batfleck project. Uh, the Batfleck project has not been greenlit. Um, there's enough Batman projects going around right now. Um yeah. so the likelihood is that it'll probably be um either an antagonistic role or a bodyguard role for Amanda Waller in a Suicide Squad project. Someone um, said that it was going to be a project directed by James Gunn. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, man, hard pass, hard pass, man. Keep Joe Manganiello's death stroke away from James Gunn. I think so. James Gunn, I think, honestly, I think James Gunn is a great director when the yes. studio gives him limits. Yes. Um, agreed. The last management made the mistake of saying, uh, made the mistake of saying, Hey, James, Go full throttle, whatever you want. Make a movie rated R. Make a rated R sequel to a movie that was PG-13 and expect audiences to receive it well. Mm -hmm. And most of that movie has some great moments in it. It has a lot of over-the-top stuff that's not necessary. Right. But if you would have honed it in and made it another PG-13 movie and allowed him to work within those constraints, Mm -hmm. probably would have been a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, there was parts of that movie that I thought were really good. There were some shots that I was impressed with, like yeah. the first shot of the movie with 
uh, what's his name played by the guy from The Walking Dead. Um, oh, where, the, the bouncy ball scene. Where yeah, where the like the camera work was fantastic. His and then name the is whole... Yondu. His name is Yondu. Yondu. <laughs> no, it's Mary <laughs> Poppins. Mary Poppins. That's what it is. Um, but yeah, I know that that scene was really impressive. There were some other shots that I liked. Um, the CGI overall is pretty good. But yeah, just overall, I watched it with um, my younger brother and two cousins of mine. It was like a little femur union thing. And uh, we to were be wa- fair, guys. The actor's name is Michael Rooker, but that's right. You. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we were watching it, and we all looked at each other and said the same thing: "What on earth was that?" <laughs> so yeah, I totally hear you. Where did you watch James Gunn Suicide Squad on HBO Max? Hell yeah, you did. Which everybody did, and those numbers were good. So he will be back for James Gunn. I don't think he's going to be. The full movie. I think he's a guy you sprinkle in and have him link to something else. But the yeah. next Suicide Squad is going to have a big push behind it. And wherever all of this goes, it will be tied into that movie. I just really hope that James Gunn doesn't James Gunnify Joe Manganiello's Deathstroke. Are you doing a scratch and sniff over there, Taylor? What's going on? Standing your battering. <laughs> uh, even better. You, you have my address. Um, I do actually. I'll, I'll print some of these out and send them your way. Do you, you want some batterings, Michael? Uh, I don't know what I'm going to have you 3D print for me yet. It might be Pokemon cards. I don't know yet. I'm I mean, still... I have Christian Bale's Batarangs, but I don't have... Uh, I also was working on this one. My uh, Ghost of Tsushima mask. Ooh, nice. I need a Bondo a little bit more. And I just want up, to but... apologize to all the audio-only <laughs> listeners that someone is sanding and eating Mike and I in the background. <laughs> I have a 3d printer and i'm making some weird stuff with it yeah but you well, don't need a 3d print right now while we're talking you can play i'm not with I'm just it cleaning it up well, what's funny is like the batteries that i do have check this out they're christian bale batman shaped but they have a batman and robin logo on them bought for me by my uh uh father-in-law which is actually pretty awesome i have like three of these in fact i have like a pouch for them that i can like put on a utility belt if i wanted to but yes i don't have ben affleck batterings yet yeah it was like it's like a two-hour print maybe maybe less Nice. But I can print. Um, I, I now discovered how to line up multiple assets in one print, so I think I can print five at a time now. Nice. I want to make so many. <laughs> <laughs> you get a battering. You get a battering. Yeah. Um. I'm also um trying to find a good asset for a uh, the Kryptonian Codex. Oh, uh, dude! I've been wanting like a that. necklace of that so bad because I know they sold one back in 2013, I think. Yeah, they also bundle it with an action figure when Mattel had the uh, the license, and it was actually pretty oh. decent. Yeah. Um, but anyways. Uh, I'll pay you. <laughs> nice distraction. Nice distraction. Um, but uh, as you were saying, you saw it on HBO Max. And I think that was the big thing, was that a lot yeah. of people saw Suicide Squad on HBO Max in the comfort of their home. Mm-hmm. And the movie cons- is considered a flop because it made nothing in the theaters because everyone watched it at home. I mean, surprise, surprise, when you do both in theater and in HBO Max, it's not going to do well financially. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they expected. You know, I... Well, they didn't expect much, and they basically had to sell the studio. So a lot of bad decisions were made during that. And they're still facing the repercussions of that. I mean, there was the recent article talking about how they like cooked the numbers on HBO Max and all that, and and there's a whole lot of other financial issues. It's like, man, Zaslov, I do not envy your position. Mm. Yeah, Mm. and I I think that was the 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 biggest issue was that um, obviously Peacemaker was successful. And its ratings, uh, Suicide Squad was successful in its viewership numbers mm-hmm. and um, the numbers that were factual. And I think what they're planning on doing is simply just giving James Gunn another go, saying, "Hey, mm-hmm. now that we have a new system in place, mm-hmm. new metrics being watched, let's see what you do with only theatrical. Maybe let's wind it up a little, a little bit. Maybe less PG. Maybe less rated R, more PG thirteen. Give it a wider audience." Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you put that genie back in the bottle. I think it is the only place for. I mean, we'll do what what a segue to adult Star Wars in just a second, but I feel like it is the it is sort of the a uh, not adult movie going experience, but like I don't know, as an older comic book fan now going and see these movies, mm. the Marvel movies is a real 50-50 cuz sometimes it feels like a baby movie and then they kill and then something crazy happens. You know what I mean? Like it's a it's a very weird. I walked into Doctor Strange being like, I think this is a baby movie. It didn't turn into a baby movie. But then when I saw Thor, I was like, is this a baby movie? And a bunch of babies show up in that movie. And they well, do... that one, I don't know if I'd call it a baby movie. I don't know what audience that was for. Man, I, I, babies. I mean, honestly, that was that was just ugh, bad. So bad. 
I was so upset with that movie because it started off really strong with that gore intro. I'm like, okay, this is good. Even though the CGI was just piss poor. Yeah, CGI was a little off. Um, I was like, okay, this is weird. All right, let's keep going. And then it turned into a rom-com, like a low-budget rom-com. And then Thor rides Stormbreaker like a witch's broom. That's where I mentally checked out. I was done. I was like, I can't. Um, I mean, it was a little funny seeing him like, like kind of dote on uh, Monier and be like, oh, baby. And then like Stormbreaker just floating in behind him like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, that was, I thought it was funny, but 100% unnecessary. Like I sat there thinking, is this actually what we're doing here? Are we yeah. actually making Stormbreaker a jealous girlfriend right now? I feel like, like Taika felt like, what if I push it as far as I can? Maybe they'll fire me. <laughs> uh, or maybe he's just been sniffing his own farts too much. And he's just like, you know, what? I, I can't do any wrong. No, I think I think there's something to that. I don't think he had a story in mind. I think they kind of told him like, hey, you got to do another movie. And like, obviously the bits are where his heart was at because all the actual storyline stuff all felt like Kevin Feige was like, this has got to happen and this has got to happen. You can do anything in this in-between that you want to. Because mm-hmm. the they, tone, the, the film has huge tone shifts. Yeah. the They actually talked about this in an interview, I believe, that um, uh, when Taika got the script, uh, he got the script from them, which implied mm-hmm. that obviously they already had an outline and everything they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, they said he could do his own rewrite, which all directors are allowed to do is take the script that they're given, rewrite right. it to kind of fit their way. Right. And then um, that's why he added the character uh, Korg so that he could put himself in the film. Um, but as the rewrites took place, you could see where he had to structurally keep what they wanted. And then he just deviated hardcore. Mm-hmm. And I could see a lot of Kevin Feige's hand in the script. And I see a lot of Taika's script. And I just didn't feel like they meshed too well together. Not at all. I mean, the, the moment where you see Zeus walking down the steps holding his skirt like it's a tutu, yeah. I'm just like, dude, wh- wh- what are you doing to my boy, Russell Crowe? What are you doing to this guy? This guy went from being Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the Far Legion- Legions of the North, to this. I mean, come on. Ugh, that movie made me so angry. Oh, it was frustrating. <laughs> but um, kind of back on, back on track as we yeah. got distracted. Um Marvel movies are a bit of a, a catch, like just a catch 22, but mm-hmm. James Gunn did a very good job with his two, two Marvel movies. Yeah. Um, Guardians Galaxy one goes down in most people's top five. Cause it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, it also, Guardians dictated, Galaxy 2, it also dictated like Marvel movies all kind of had a, a stale flavor for a while. Guardians yeah. of the galaxy said space is filled with bright colors and seventies music. And since then, all the movies have had a flavor of guardians for a long time now for better, or for worse. Yeah. Every yeah. single movie, they're just like, okay, this worked in guardians. Let's do that tenfold and keep doing that to the point yeah. where now, like I, I love guardians of the galaxy, the first one. And it was one of my favorite theater experiences I've had in recent memory. Um, just cause I wasn't expecting it to be so good. But ever since then, I think people have gotten a sour taste in their mouth of that movie just because, like you said, every other movie after that was trying to duplicate that humor and that tone, and it doesn't work for everything. And I also feel like even though we're on Guardians of the Galaxy 3, we've already had three other Guardians movies. Guardians of the Galaxy were huge pieces in all of in the last Avengers arc and coming back from that. It's like we've had a lot of time with them. So I feel like it's a little burnout on it. But at the same time, James Gunn has said that this movie is going to be his last with this team, which yeah. implies a couple, maybe one or two characters die, but you know that a couple characters are going to ride off in the sunset, which yeah. is fine. And, I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 probably wasn't what a lot of people wanted it to be, because it was a really heartfelt story about a guy and his dad. And after watching it a few times, I, I've kind of grown to appreciate it more and more. The cinematography is gorgeous for that film. Music's not as good as the first one, but Right. You can't really top a perfect soundtrack. It's a good but, movie. My only yeah. issue with that movie is that Guardians of the Galaxy 1 was so expansive in nature. Yeah. And it was a very immersive experience. In fact, I think my dad said it best where he it had been a long time since he'd gone to a theater and just been kind of lost in a film's world yeah. like that. And so I think the main issue with Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is that it takes a step back from that and spends a lot of time on one planet rather than exploring a lot of the galaxy like the first movie did, which is hard to replicate that, replicate that right. feel. But it, it was like a smaller scale. It, to me, it reminded yeah. me of that um, the Kevin Smith line: "Do a big movie, do an uh, artsy movie." Like this felt like the big movie wrapped in an artsy movie, mm. and it was it was smaller in scale, but it was bigger in emotional range, which is why I appreciated it. Um, 
and it's also one of those like if you go from a any sort of a situation where like you have uh issues with your dad or whatever it's really cathartic to watch Mm. because it's like it's very much a movie about coming to terms with parentage and unresolved feelings of your with your dad and stuff so like i I really enjoyed it for what it was fair enough yeah i can see that but um let's jump to our next topic because i don't i don't know you dawson i I never actually talked to you about anime so i don't know if you're an anime fan my wife's big anime fan and she's been bringing me into it more and more so so do you guys have crunchyroll we have had it off and on okay um so this past sunday they debuted a new gundam series mobile suit gundam the witch for mercury the first new Gundam series since Iron-Blooded Orphans about five years ago. Um, to set the show up, they actually released a prologue in episode zero on YouTube maybe about three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And then on Crunchyroll, they dropped episode zero and then episode one on Sunday. Let's talk about the prologue because... We, Real okay. quick, can I piss off every Gundam fan really quick? Sure. Can you put that picture back up? It's Optimus Prime. Okay, I'm done. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> listen, they're all, they all came about, all the transforming robots all came around a certain time. So, like, they all talked. I just to know each that's other. a trigger word for a lot of Gundam fans. So, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> all right. And goodbye, Dawson. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so, uh, episode zero sets this really dark story of like government overreach and how there's this, this group of scientists building what they, what they called the Gundam. And the suit was meant to be the, humans next stage of evolution and they basically said that for for land to travel the ocean we built ships to explore the space we built these but to truly live in space here's this new exosuit that will allow us to adapt to any environment and they made this as a kind of an appendage enhancer and it was like this really novel idea but it kind of takes the same notion of like any form of science you build something to be a tool and people misuse it and so the government comes in and there's like this, it's kind of backdrop to this like press conference where the guy is like, we're going to just peacefully cease all you're of their production. Right to ep- you're skipping right to 22 minutes. We got to go back to zero minutes. I thought, I didn't know about any, I didn't know where it was going to go to. Yeah. And I didn't know that they were going to take such a large step back from where the show actually began. Mm-hmm. I thought that was the whole show. I was like, there's the scientist woman. Here is our pilot with the one arm. Very Avon Gallon trying to get this, Avon Gallon trying to get the system on. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, right. So the, the, it starts off with the, the main pilot is uh, the main character's mom. And she has a uh, biomechanical arm because of some accident. And she has, and she used it to help jack herself into the suit. And um, she's trying to activate the suit and trying to get it to uh, turn on, essentially. Because they have this uh, really advanced system, and it won't activate for her. They keep trying to, like, activate it, and it's like, and it just won't do it. And they're like, and what's wrong with it? for lack of a better term, the system is basically just KOKED. And Dad yeah. went KOKED 4 and de- obliterated himself to another universe. Right. And Mom did KOKED 2, and we don't know what the limits of KOKED is, other than maybe the 33-degree level. Right, because they explain in the uh, the prologue that the the suits, when you go to a certain level of connection, it can mess with your psyche. It can actually like make you go brain dead or something like that. So they're like, you can't push yourself too hard because it will destroy your brain essentially. Yeah, and she's trying the to activate the suit. suit makes your face all red because it, it's too yeah. much input for your body um, and mind to handle. And mm-hmm. kind of like what they talked about in a uh, Pacific Rim, where like too much for the brain to handle, so it just it fries your brain. The way you're describing um, it, how they're having a hard time getting it to start, reminds me of a, a video I watched on the first American video game of a uh, Gundam. It was 0079, The War for Earth, yeah. the PC game, yeah. and. This video is talking about how like they just could not figure out for an hour how to turn on the suit at the very beginning of the game because it doesn't tell you how to do it. Sure. So right. that's what came to mind. So um, as the the prologue starts, they have all the they, they set up the groundwork. The little girl, her name is Ari, she is turning four that day. Everything's great. Um, during all they're doing their final test run, Ari is mad because the suit won't turn on, so she sneaks out of her room, goes down to the hangar, and is like, "Why won't you turn on?" And the like the president lady of the building, the, the lead scientist is like, maybe you can try it. Ha ha ha. And she like scans the girl's like uh, biometrics into it and says, maybe one day you'll be old enough to make this thing work. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward, maybe a couple minutes. Um, pres- the president, corporal corporation president is online. He's like, hey, we're going to take away the Gundams from the scientist group because it's, it's dangerous. We're going to peacefully take it away. And then it cuts to like him saying all this stuff about peacefully doing that. They sent like a hostile takeover. An army basically is killing everybody, just murdering them. The mom takes the little girl, runs with the Gundam, 
the Gundam activates because of the little girl. Like, mm-hmm. it turns on completely. This little girl is like, okay, cool. Look, this thing is turning on. And the girl is obliterating enemy soldiers just by tapping the screen. Like, look, a light, a light. And just touching the screen and just murdering everybody. Yeah. Right? There's still, that, the, I thought the story, I knew that dad was going to die. As soon as I saw dad's face in the kitchen, I was like, dad's going to die. But I also thought the little girl was going to die. And I thought that was going to be the moment. No. Little girl's little, the main character. Little girl's She's the got main plot character. Armor. <laughs> her father sings her happy birthday. Oh my god, that he's... scene was so rough. I because... should have gotten high before I watched it because I started bawling. Yeah, bawling when he's singing happy birthday to her. So she's um, destroying the enemies. the enemies. She has uh, no idea me, what she's doing. Co- put context in it, Michael. <sighs> um, the enemy sends a suit. Uh, one of their high high tech suits that basically shuts out like an EMP to stop any enemy suits from coming near it, mm-hmm. and it sends out the suit to basically destroy any stragglers, anyone trying to escape in mobile suits, and it's just murdering everybody as they come out. The dad knows that he has to be a distraction to protect his daughter and wife, so mm-hmm. he flies out head on to this guy, um, activates like full power, basically it's ripping him a pieces, like he's he's basically losing it, and he basically jams open the comm system to prevent them from sending any warnings back to their ship. And while he's doing all this, he's singing happy birthday to his daughter while the thing is killing him. So it's really sad. And the girl's like, oh, daddy's singing happy birthday. So she's singing with him. And the mom is crying as she's flying away in the opposite direction. Now, that that's the prologue. That's the 25-minute prologue cut to the first episode of the show. It's... <laughs> Maybe ten years later, fifteen years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the um, little the little girl is now of high school age. Yes, and she has now enrolled herself in this special school colony, essentially. Mm-hmm. And the way this colony works is that uh, in this future, corporations have gotten so big that they basically control the economies, the gun governments, everything. The guy uh, who performed sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? The guy who performed the hostile takeover is now the president of the universe, essentially. And they have this school that they built to train Gundam, uh, not gun, mobile suit pilots and engineers and everything. Like the best of the best of the galaxy goes to the school to become the best of the best. Mm-hmm. And one of the weird little finite rules that they have there is a dueling system where if you want to argue with somebody, you can challenge them to a duel and you can just fight like trial by combat, essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, the guy, he basically was like, I want this school to be so successful that I want to train the best. So I'm going to basically put my daughter as like the prize, like whoever is the top pilot, the top suit pilot gets to basically marry my daughter and gets to be the heir of this corporation. So one of the, there's like these three branches of this corporation. One of the other branches put his son in that school and that son is like the top student. Mm-hmm. And he's basically engaged to this girl by default. Um, long story short, they get in an argument and I wanted to actually show everyone this scene because it's it's pretty rad to kind of give you a context of how this show goes um this scene is the the duel well the, well, the girl basically gets challenged to a duel because she dishonors this guy and he's like i oh, will fight you we'll we'll have a duel whatever mm-hmm. and long story short he's got the pink suit there and he basically is like i'm gonna mess her up and the girl uh gets in her gundam the only one of its kind and basically is like i'm gonna beat this guy up because he He's he's a jerk, and I don't like what he stands for. And she goes out there and does like one thing with this highly advanced weapon that she has. And I loved it so much because she just all she does is she turns on the system and it has this like kind of this weird core system in it, and it just drops all of its outer shell armor. And that outer shell armor is kind of drone warfare. Right? Oh shoot! These drones turn into a shield, which blocks his attack, which just immediately stops him in his tracks and then this is the best part because she doesn't do anything that's what i loved about it it's like it's so op that she's like essentially it's like a mary sue kind of a character right she <laughs> they he comes at her with a sword and then she just sends her stuff out to oh. rip him to pieces and just just mantles him from the oh, ground shoot. up just destroys him and i and the funny part is because this girl is new to this school she she basically went there to kind of train better and to come back and train um she doesn't realize that this whole battle this whole duel that she has uh essentially makes her uh the top student right and by becoming the top student now the guy's daughter is her uh fiance and she's like wait what's happening why are we how are we engaged and she's like oh i'm sorry that you're from a conservative colony but it's kind of normal here 
And she's like, that's not what I mean. What are you talking about? And like, it was this really funny quip about how like, now she's the top student and now she's all eyes are on her. Mm-hmm. And she's got this illegally ob- obtained weapon that the government has been looking for. And she is now engaged to the bad guy, the, the, the daughter of the bad guy who killed her dad and literally everyone she grew up with. Shoot. And that An- was episode The animation one. looks great, honestly. Oh, it was I, gorgeous. It, I love when shows like that have great animation. It makes me really want to like yeah. get back on um, Crunchyroll and watch that. It's really good. And it's like, I... I, I send it to Michael. Like Michael, watch episode one. He's like, "All right." I'm like, "And watch, watch episode zero. You're gonna need some context." <laughs> and I thought episode zero was where the show was going to go, right. and I was like, "Oh, okay. We're really picking up where Blood Orphans left off." And then we cut to the X Men Academy, where the Top Gun pilots from all over the universe—they're uh, already playing with like high school hi- hierarchy because mm-hmm. you already have a class system put in place. She's not only a fish out of water, uh, she grew up on Mercury, so she doesn't know what tomatoes are. She doesn't know what this, what are these tomatoes that you eat? So there's all of that fun stuff. That was a fun And then all of the fights are super reminiscent of old. Her Gundam is straight up basically the female interpretation of kind of the original Gundam. It's a little Gundam wingy. It also Mm. is a little bit of like the new types. She herself is some sort of new type because when we saw her as a kid, when she was wearing the system, her face was all blue, uh, Mm. where all the other guys who who are getting their energy sucked out, they had the red faces. Also, she is a child soldier because she thinks this is basically a video game. Because the other girl is Mm. like, why... uh, the other girl steals her suit to like, I don't need anyone to protect me, but it turns out it's not a white knight. It's a white lady knight. And the lady goes, no one drives my suit but me. This suit is my family. And then she starts giving this system that sounds like something out of like uh, 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 kick-ass, right? Where like she, she was trained by her mother. I get a point if I don't run away. You get one point for advancing. She is a murder machine and she has no idea. And I couldn't believe that we were going to put this overpowered pilot in the shell of just a high school drama. It is so silly and the animation is gorgeous. Yeah, looks absolutely beautiful. I guess I guess I have a question because I I never had the chance to watch any Gundam growing up because we just didn't watch anime as a family. Um, is this like connected to any of the series that nope. came before? Is this kind of like reboot sort of thing? So uh, the Gundam franchise has one timeline of the the one year war, the Universal Century, right? And then every few years they say let's just do a side story that's unrelated to everything. That's okay. where you got like Gundam Wing, Afterward Gundam X. Um, Turn A Gundam, which was kind of one um, Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans. There are all these like reinterpretations. Gundam Double O, okay. for instance, was a huge reinterpretation. Um, <clears throat> and then every once in a while, they kind of go back to that main timeline. Because right now we have um, Gundam Thunderbolt and Gundam Hathaway, which are still being made. And those are tied to the main timeline of all the other stuff. And now you have which the Witch of Mercury, which is its own, own beast. Right. Which is... Um, as you see, the main Gundam has visual cues from the original Gundam. It's got like the, right. the white horns with the, the red uh, forehead bit, the yellow, the blue. But then it also has like the the frame style of Iron-Blooded Orphans with like that weird top-heavy, thin waist, big hips. Like it had this weird like exoskeletal system, which was very much part of their, their redesign system that they used for Iron-Blooded Orphans. Okay. So it's... I love it because all of the combinations of the shield and the funnels are all classic weapons. And instead of giving her like one, she's just going to get them all. She's yeah. just going to get one of each of them. Yeah. And like, it's funny because some of the toys have already kind of spoiled some things where mm. you have they have, like the Gumpla sets that came out. Um, I ordered the first wave of it. They'll come whenever they come because apparently they sold out everywhere because apparently everyone loved it to pieces. Um, but apparently they've also announced some like add-ons to the suit, which kind of implies that later in the story, she'll get like a flight system where it has like kind of mm-hmm. these wing systems. And then there's, there's little add-ons here and there. And the, the original Gundam series had that too. So right. it's a very fresh and familiar take on the Gundam franchise. Okay. Uh, do you think that... From where we are right now. So first off, her Gundam was found on Mercury because they keep showing it covered in vines. Did you watch the outro 
Did you watch the credits? Okay. So the Gundam wasn't found on Mercury. I mean, they what the mom did was she took the original Gundam that Lefri and she in the woods. She hid it. Yeah, she put it in the hiding. And then after people stopped looking for it for like 10 years, she took it out, claimed she built it, changed some of it, repainted it, and kind of hodgepodge this Gundam out of the mainframe of the original, which is why it's still she's like, I grew up with this suit because it's the same suit, it's just been reconfigured. Mm. I think we get two seasons of this show. I think least, season yeah. one is all in the high school. And then I think the finale is it spills out into war. And then season two, we see, you know, you were the sophomore class president, but now you are my enemy. And they go at it in Gundam suits. A lot of the Gundam shows kind of do that, though. Like Gundam Wing had season one was like all on Earth and it was like everything was fine. And then season two was like, we're going to space, bitch. And then the whole, everything was like space warfare. Everything had to get upgraded because mm-hmm. it had to go with, deal with space warfare. And it was like really hardcore. And they even had like these little callbacks to the original show where like the main villains, like I want to just destroy the earth with an asteroid. And that was what the like three of the shows have done so far. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of curious if they're going to go that route too, where the main villain's going to be like, I'm going to put a mask on. I'm going to declare that no one knows me. And I'm going to just shoot asteroids at planets. Like, I wonder if he's going to start doing that. There's no wrong way to jump into Gundam. If you like the animation, that's great. Yeah. If you like the characters, even better. And if neither one of those uh, does it, jump to another series. Because they're, they're the series are all so different from each other. If you're like, right. I don't like Serious War. Because it's been around since, what, the 70s, right? 70s, yeah. Yeah. And funny enough that when the original came out, if you were to watch the original show, it has a lot of flavors of Star Wars. There's a lot of just like something was in the air of the 70s and they both picked up on it in two different places. Yeah. But um, and one of the, the little nods I really liked was how this character, the main character, her name in the prequel, the, the OVA, like the little prologue, her name was Eric Samaya. And then when she enrolls in the school, her now name is Soleta Mercury. So obviously she's changed her name. And that's going to be a late, later plot point when they start seeing flashbacks and like, oh, by the way, this isn't my real name. I've been hiding because your dad's trying to kill me. Like, that's probably going to be something that later on comes about. So, uh, and they use cell phones to start the Gundams now. You yeah, no, to put so your cell was, phone in the That computer. was a funny thing. So um, they each have, as she called it, her uh, her class data pad. And yeah, it's whatever. essentially like a slightly <laughs> bigger cell phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's used kind of like a PDA, right? Not a cell phone, but like a PDA. And uh, it's kind of also used as a security key to open doors, put your key your key in. And she it's kind of like the tablet in Breath of the Wild. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. And the the configuration um the girl steals her pda and then takes her suit and doesn't know how to use it that's why she's like you stole my stuff give me my suit back i will fight this for you and that's how that all went about but it was really really fantastic Uh, um the combat because it is a dual academy uh, this is a higher conspiracy for both of you because it's a dual academy and each week we're going to see two different suits go at it right you know trying to prove something it feels a lot like the gundam versus video game have you played that one where you it's it's all right it's p it's player versus player you design a group uh, i wonder if they're trying to also sell up upload this into the arcade game because this felt very virtual fighter like all right yeah. here we go bro whose mech is gonna win supreme here hmm. Yeah, it was it was interesting because they talked about how the dueling system was kind of like this old west style dueling where like if you have a disagreement, you can challenge someone to a duel and if they accept it, it's trial by combat. And it's not a good system. We shouldn't run society off this system, yeah. but they're doing it in space. But the it's kind of interesting because like the guy uh he basically created this dueling system to kind of like make these these guys fight each other till they became the best. The best like competition breeds excellence and that's why he's like i will do this dueling system they'll fight each other until someone is the best of the best and he's like the the winner gets my daughter like basically like old old style japanese like i want to put my daughter as a as a arranged marriage prize to whoever's the best and no one was expecting this like 14 year old girl on her first day from this academy to Mm. essentially be the best yeah, it's so fun when her suit changes and she's like, oh, you now have to marry me. She's like, but you're a girl. She's like, oh, you don't know how progressive we are out in space. <laughs> this can happen. And she was like, oh, no, it was such a, it was such a great spot. And I, I, I wonder, I, I feel like we're going on an Ava journey because our main character feels a lot like Ray. She's very soft spoken. I do feel like she's going to break down at some point. She killed those. She killed the bad guys like it was a video game. Like your cat touching uh, a fruit ninja. She was like, you die now. And she just was good at it. Yeah. 
So it's going to be very interesting for them. I think what's probably going to happen is she's going to like be shown the security footage of her escaping and be like, and this, this suit killed five pilots and shows their faces. And she's like, you mean I killed someone? And that'd be like the moment where she like snaps, where she like is shown what she did when she was a kid. Mm. That's how I see it going, honestly. I think, he, I think he muted himself. He muted himself. But, you know, let's get to the last topic, because I think we're, we're talking a lot about Gundam here. Last topic. <laughs> let's get into Andor. Yes. So yes, we are, yes, yes. Uh, there's 12 episodes this season, or is it is it 12? Yeah, 12 episodes this season. Uh, the final episode's due to stream right before Thanksgiving. And we had three episodes at its premiere, and then one episode last week. And I like it a lot. And that's it. That's all he has to no, say. I'm, there's so much I want to say. Um, right. There's so much that I want to say about it. But um, I am, I was a huge fan of how they released those first three episodes together because it felt like it was one self-contained story. Um, and it felt like a movie that you needed to watch to kickstart the story of the rest of the yeah. series. It was like a three hour long pilot. They should yeah. have released, I think tonally it takes you out it should have just been a movie i don't I, I mean i understand that you know they want it to be episodes and weeks and stuff but why not have a version of it like you know premiere day edition with everything put together cuz it is a movie it's the full story and i don't know if because they're shooting this in are they shooting this in england i don't know where they're shooting it actually they they, they shot it in different locations in the uk i'm trying to remember someone um that I talked to had a friend who was working like stunt work on the okay, show. Okay. Let's see. There's like a lot of different locations. Like all the, the best people from um, like killing Eve are showing up in this show and a bunch mm. of people from um, Apple's series uh, about spies. Uh, I forget mm. what it was called. Uh, the underdogs, something they're the, the B office or something of MI6, like all of these great supporting actors Tonally, it is so different than the Space Wizards and stuff. I just wish they would have released it as one full movie because it's like, so great. I like how they brought this up. It's supposed to be divided into three episode arcs. So technically, mm. we're getting four movies in a row with this season. Pretty the much. first three episodes being one arc, the origin arc. This second episode four, uh, to me, it felt tonally incomplete. Um, when I watched it, I was like, mm. okay, cool. I'm getting into it. It's They're, they're starting the rebirth of the, the rebellion. And then it, when it ended, I'm like, I need in the next episode because it didn't feel like this was a complete thought. That's why I kind of feel like I know Disney's going for the whole weekly viewership and building up suspense and getting people to theorize what happens. But there are some shows that I feel like need the Netflix treatment of dropping it all at once. And I think Andor probably would have been best suited for that, even though I'm still really much enjoying the show and look forward to the next episode that comes out. Um, but I do think, yeah, they should have dropped it all at once. Cause like you said, it's, it feels like a bunch of movies, and it all it also is a lot slower of a buildup than all the other Star Wars shows have been. Yeah. I mean, you could you could say that maybe Kenobi was slow to build up, but even then, that was like maybe two episodes, and then you were in the thick of the story. Um, same thing with Mando and Book of Boba Fett. You got pretty much into it right away. Uh, and this show, it's I appreciate the tone shift. I appreciate the um, the pacing, even though, like I said, there are some things that make it feel a little incomplete just because you have to wait a week for the next episode. Yeah. Um, I, the main thing I keep saying about the show, and we talked about it on the Four Nerds uh, the past couple weeks, is I just love the fact that this show abandoned the volume tech for actual on-set locations. Of course, except for Coruscant, you can't really do that on live set locations. But the fact they actually filmed these play, for these scenes like in the hills, you know, in actual dark, dreary areas, and it it just makes the show that much more immersive, and it makes it feel that much more organic, and it makes it just. You're not taken out of it because with Book of Boba Fett and the last season of The Mandalorian, the volume tech was obvious. Yeah. It was so obvious. But in this show, you don't have that issue. You're not taken out of the show because you notice, hey, that's obviously volume tech at that spot right there. Yeah. And I think that was – you kind of got to give it to the the uh, development team. I mean, oh, is it uh, Tony Gilroy? Yeah, he's the guy who's like running yeah. this, this thing. Um he really felt that this show needed to have that Star Wars feel to it. And the Star Wars feel was shooting on location, doing everything practical with CGI cleanup. Yeah. Which I think is the best way Star Wars has ever been. Um, when you go, when you go too far into stagecraft, you get episode two. Yeah. When you get two, and then when you find a happy middle, 
you get uh, uh, the Force Awakens, which I think was the probably the best of the new trilogy because JJ Agreed. at that point knew that you have to do practical with um, everything else. And I lost Michael, and now he's back in a new window. And let's bring him back, and we're back with Michael. <laughs> Is it working now? It's working now. All right, yeah. cool. But like you're saying, Taylor, like the best thing you can do with stuff like this is rely on practical and fix with CGI when needed, yeah. right? That's the best way to go. That's where it always looks the best, where it's the most immersive. Whereas the flip side, a lot of these other things, like I know the prequel trilogy relied heavily on CGI and some of it worked, some of it didn't. Um, but when you rely too much on it, it becomes an issue because you overwork your CGI artists. Some things get incomplete some scenes it feels very disjointed and disconnected and again it takes you out of it but there's no issue with that whatsoever with the show yeah. at least that i've seen i personally feel and i know this is kind of a controversial opinion i've always felt that when the technology gets good enough to where you can uniform special effects mm -hmm. do the george lucas treatment go back to all of the movies every single one of them and clean them all up to make them uniform yeah don't like don't do like the I like when the special editions came out in the early nineties, Michael and I saw them in theaters. Um, you had the deleted scenes added back in. Those were great and all he did some color correcting and stuff like that. And then he kind of just did it every year, every year he added more stuff to them. Mm -hmm. But I would very much like them to kind of go back now and clean up some of the, the weird blue screen effects that you had in episodes one through three. I would yeah. love them to clean up some of the weird special effects issues in the original trilogy um, get rid of the scene can. where Han meets uh, Jabba and steps on his tail, even though he obviously doesn't actually step on it. They just lifted up his character yeah. into the I air. Mean, <laughs> they can clean that up very they well. They could. Um, I also want them to fix the deep fake Luke in season one of Mando and replace him with the deep fake Luke we got from Book of Boba Fett because yes. it's only been like a year and a half. Just go back and redo it. Yeah. Just do it. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So I would love for them, like maybe like the 50th anniversary of Star Wars, just redo them all that's kind of like what i wanted to do with the lord of the rings and hobbit movies you know at some point like go back in remaster them a little bit and make a scene in the beginning of the lord of the rings and just that's all you have to do yeah exactly <laughs> make it towards the same actor as the hobbit and then yeah it works out yeah um but no i mean honestly it's andor has been i told michael before we started rogue one was probably my favorite star wars movie of the disney era ip holding Oh, yeah, because it was just it screamed old school Star Wars. And then now we have Andor, which is probably the best of the, the TV series that they've done because it screams old school Star Wars. Do you think Andor is going to get trapped in the world of this has got to have three seasons? No, because I, I can very see where they're going, but we kind of know we know how it ends, right? We've seen right. Rogue One. That's where it has to build to, and I feel like fairly quickly. You know what I mean? I, I feel like it's the tragedy of this show, much like Rogue One, is you go into Rogue One knowing like no one gets out of here alive. So right. I feel like that is also built into the tragedy of this show. The uh, the the, the co-writer, the showrunner, whatever you want to call him, Tony Geroy said flat out, Andor is getting two seasons, flat out. And yeah. season one, uh, there's supposed to be like a five-year gap in between the two seasons. Season two, we're going to get the uh, K2SO as like a supporting character. We're going to get the droid. Mm -hmm. And then the season two is going to supposedly end leading into Rogue One. And that's, they've already planned it out. They've already cut it down. This is where it's going. And that's what I love. It's it's like a built-in protection from oversaturation of that property, right? Or that aspect of the property. Yeah. And so you're kind of forced to end it at some point. Whereas with the Mandalorian, that they're probably going to milk that until it runs completely dry, right? Maybe. It's very I also popular. heard the Mandalorian is supposed to be done at season three. So we'll see what happens after this next season. He's going to go restore the planet Mandalorian. And then that's the end of the Mandalorian. Cause then it's either going to be like, you know, the planet Mandalorian show, or you know what I mean? It's going to be, it's going to be, the scope has to be much bigger than just this one guy. Cause yeah. they're going to a, they're going to a very big conflict. Yeah. Plus also like, Speaking of the Mandalorian, I mean, that would make the title of the show make a lot more sense, too. I mean, yes, he's a, he's a Mandalorian technically, but the show being called The Mandalorian would make sense if he goes back to Mandalore, restores it, and now he's the Mandalorian ruling over Mandalore. They've got to go. He has to go into the, the mines down below and bathe himself. He's got to purify himself because he's, he's got to fight the Balrog. Yeah, yeah, he's got to go. Whatever. <laughs> he's got to do that thing with baby Grogu.
the great mythosaur, uh, the Balrog, uh, whatever we <laughs> want to call it. He's gonna he's gonna fight some dragon in the the, the bowels of Mandalore, and it's gonna be fantastic. And I'm ready for it. And his name's gonna be Morgoth. Yeah. <laughs> do you think that they have? Do you think that they have more serious Star Wars in their back pockets? I do. Be- you think in addition to this, you think they have some other places they want to go? Because I, I totally, it's either fun swords and knives in space or it's the death of everybody. And we're fighting space Nazis because that's what we're doing now. Yeah. Um, I think I think the reason why a lot of people are liking Andor more than the other stuff is because the other stuff is kind of, for a lot of people, Star Wars has always been the story of rebellion. And Andor is mm. the story of rebellion. Mm-hmm. You get to see how bad the universe was and why rebellion was required. And things like Mandalorian and the book of Boba Fett take place post-Empire, which is supposedly the heyday of the New Republic, or whatever mm-hmm. they want to call themselves. And there's not that same kind of overarching villain. And with with the man like with uh, Andor and all that other stuff, you know that the overarching villain, Vader's out there, you know the Emperor's out there, you know. Right. Galactic enslavement is out there and global crisis and a universal scale. You have all these things that are like fun backdrops for these dark stories. Mm-hmm. And that's why I kind of liked how the Mandalorian, uh, the first season of Mandalorian, you kind of saw this remnant of the empire, which is clearly not giving up. Second season, you introduce the, the notion of now we have to bring back our people, mm-hmm. but bookable effect kind of felt aimless. Very much. Which, so. Um, I think that, Going forward, they either, I mean, it sounds like they're still making another season of the Book of Boba Fett, and I hope that that season does a better job at explaining the duality of Boba. Like, give him more flashbacks of him being a monster, so that we, the fans, get the, the Boba Fett that we wanted to see. Yeah, and have him dealing with the repercussions of his actions of that time. Like, have stuff like that happen. Like, have like a, a series of flashbacks like you did the first season, but that those flashbacks are heyday Boba Fett making enemies. And then present day, you have those enemies coming for him. Yeah, and I think with this show Andor, I think the reason that it stands so far apart from the other shows, aside from the first two seasons of The Mandalorian, is that overall the writing's just better. You know, Kenobi was fun, but the writing wasn't great. The pacing, the directing wasn't anything to write home about. There was plenty of issues with that. It like even though. I have the uh, the Kai cut or whatever it is where he edited it into like a two hour movie. Fantastic, a lot better. Solves a lot of issues, but it definitely had its own issues with the show. Um, but yeah, better written and some fantastic actors. I mean, anytime you got Scarsguard, a Scarsguard of any kind involved in a pro like a production, it's gonna bode well for you. Um, but as far as like uh, Michael, you asked about serious Star Wars in their back pocket. One thing that I would like to see this might be a little controversial for some people because they might not want them to touch this. I would like to see a uh, Wedge Antilles show kind of talking about him because there was a comic um, back when Dark Horse had the rights to Star Wars comic books um, where it was the tragedy of Wedge Antilles talking about how he joined the Empire in that canon where he was just kind of a free-spirited pilot who kind of went off into his own thing and came back and found that the Empire had destroyed his village and killed the woman that he loved like something along those lines like a, a little mini series of Wedge Antilles or something to that effect, I think it would be really nice to explore yeah. that heyday of the Empire, kind of like what you're talking about, uh, Taylor, uh, how to talk about the overruling of the Empire and all that good stuff. Uh, I'd like to see a lot of that. And Skarsgård, he does so good. I, one thing I loved about this scene in particular, his, how he's like this black market, not even, not even black market, like he's a high-end antiquities dealer, Yeah, which is just their way of saying he he's... Stole a bunch of shit. And when he kind of got into character on his ship, you could tell he's like disgusted with himself. And he's yeah, like, he's putting on the rings, putting on the wig. He's like, Ugh, I hate this. I loved this scene in particular mm-hmm. because it was riddled with Easter eggs. Yes. You got Mandalorian armor. You've got uh, Wookiee helmets. You've got Twi'lek uh, family trees. You've got all these things. But then there's an Amazon. There's an Alexa Amazon on the wall. This guy in the background, right? Star Killer. Was the. The, the one of the best Easter eggs of all time was Star Killer armor, Star Killer's Sith armor from the mm-hmm. non-canon Star Wars: The Force Unleashed Sith timeline, where he falls and becomes a bad guy. His armor is just hanging out in the background. And if people haven't played that video game in that so timeline, in that non-canon world, Star Killer, as an agent of Emperor Palpatine, 
straight up mercs Obi-Wan Kenobi not once, but twice because he has to kill him as a force ghost. He turns Luke to the dark side, kills Leia. Uh, he also kills Han. Like he's, yeah. He straight he up kills the Star Wars universe. He throws Han into the engines of the Millennium Falcon and then downs the Millennium Falcon, killing Chewie. Well, and then, what happens is that he kills Obi-Wan, then Obi-Wan comes back as a Force ghost, and then he throws Obi-Wan into the engines of the That's Millennium right, Falcon. that's right, that's right. Um, Han, I think he kills later. He does something with Han. Um, yeah. But either way, he makes Luke his apprentice, and then they go take down the Emperor together. And it was, yeah, it was fantastic. It's, it's awesome. But um, we're about, about to wrap up there, guys. Um, we're hitting our hour mark. One thing that I wanted to bring up uh, is something that, you know, last week when we talked about Henry Cavill coming back, uh, mm-hmm. Michael was like, he's coming back. You've heard it. I'm declaring it. It's happening. And he put like his entire reputation on the line just by declaring this openly. Then on Saturday. Show of the TMZ picks, Taylor. Then on Saturday, Henry Cavill was spotted in LA with black dyed hair with his girlfriend. And everyone kind of realized, oh, it's happening. Mm. It is happening. Henry is back. It's happening. Am I going to be the bad guy by saying that I'm still not convinced? Uh, you'll be convinced in about three weeks when he shows up on screen. <laughs> I mean, I I, I, I want to see him on the screen. I want to see him in the Superman suit again. But I just... I, I don't want to say that I'm bitter, but I'm bitter. I'm a bitter fan that has a hard time believing that anything that's has Warner Brothers words in the title can do anything right. Um, this is a new Warner Brothers. Warner I know, I know that. That's the thing I have Discovery to overcome. Discovery plus Warner Brothers. See, I know that, but there's still the words Warner Brothers. And, they and fired all, sudden, all the like, bad people. The bad man went away. I know, I know, but it's still <laughs> the company name. And I'm just thinking like, ah, there's so much negativity attached to it. Uh, but again, I want to see him there. I really hope he is there. I have my tickets for uh, Thursday, October 20th for Black Adam. Um, I'm going to see it that Friday on the, the actual 21st. I'm going to see it with my son because... Well, I'm going to message you all the spoilers, and then you're going to hate me forever. Oh, I already know the spoilers. It's super It's super <laughs> difficult to go to not – you have to see a movie either Thursday or Friday, or Taylor will just text you casually. Hey, did you see the new movie? What did you think about the third ending? It's like, hold on, bro. I'm watching it as we speak. <laughs> yeah, we actually had a uh, an issue when I was like, you need to watch uh, Doctor Strange. He's like, I'll see it today. I'm like – I saw it last week, dude. You need to see it already. I want to start. To- I'm going to start sending you spoilers until you see this movie. And he saw it. <laughs> so, oh man. There. Speaking of uh, Henry Cavill Superman, though, there is has been a couple pictures circulating on social media. It's like a blurry picture, apparently, of like a screening with Henry Cavill in the suit, and it, it to me it looks like fan art. It is. It is. Um, from what yeah. I was told by a few dozen people, the pictures that are coming out are 100 fan art, just different angles of fan art. Yeah. Um. Uh, apparently. Uh, they've pulled the scene from any pre-screening. So mm. um, when we see it, I think the first people that will see it will be the people who see it on Thursday at 7 o'clock. Yeah. They'll be the first people to see it. Which I mean, like, if you're going to have a surprise like that, don't have it in the screenings. Like, yeah. just save that Which for... Is, like, yeah. the um, the screenings for Spider-Man, for instance. Yeah. Um, when that movie, everyone knew, everyone and their mom knew that Spider-Man was going to have the other Spider-Man in that movie. Mm-hmm. And... So when they did the pre-screenings, it was one of my favorite things. I actually talked to one of my buddies about this. He saw the movie about two weeks before, and he said that while they were watching it, big text on the screen, black screen, cut for spoilers. Like It basically was like, he's like, oh, okay. And then it would go to another scene. Cut for cut for confidentiality. Cut for, and they were like, he's like, oh my God, half of this movie's gone. <laughs> yeah, everybody knew what was happening there. Yeah. Everybody knew. It was no secret which honestly played in their favor because it got more people in the seats than otherwise. Cause I mean, people were okay with far from home, but it wasn't anything to write home about, yeah. you know, so just the third Tom Holland movie by himself wouldn't have broken a billion. No, but what does break a billion is Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. That's my boy, Andrew getting the glory that he deserved every second that he was on screen as Spider-Man. And you know what takes me off about that random tirade, but the fact that I was, a fan of the Amazing Spider-Man movies when they came out. I wanted to see the third one. I want to see the story play out. People were pissed off and annoyed because it wasn't Toby. And then now as soon as he's back on screen again, they're like, where's Amazing Spider-Man 3? You had that chance to make that decision like five or six years ago. Come on, man. Yeah. We might get more. I think we will absolutely get more team-ups like this, but I don't think 
unfortunately, no. We'll get we'll get Uncle Ben scenes with them and flashback scenes, but no more, no more like that. I still remember how excited I was watching the credits of Amazing Spider-Man Two, where all the hints of the Sinister Six were being shown, and I was so excited. And nothing happened. I was yeah. devastated. <laughs> we can blame North Korea for that because that's actually a real thing. North Korea hacked Sony, put all their dirty laundry out there. And then Marvel came in and said, hey, I hear you had some bad PR. Why don't you just uh, give me hmm. Spider-Man back? That's was it North happened. Korea or Kevin Feige? <laughs> Kevin Feige employed North Korea. No. <laughs> <laughs> Probably could have, honestly. But on that note, Thank you all for joining us. This has been a this was a fun conversation. Uh, if you want to support us and help us do what we love to do, go join our Patreon. Uh, and uh, for those of us, those of you who do support us, thank you tremendously for keeping us keeping us going. We are uh, lots of things are happening behind the scenes that we're trying to move forward with. Uh, every bit helps. So thank you all for helping us. And uh, for those of you at home, uh, thank you for joining us. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that notification bell. Join us whenever we go live because we might start doing it more often than every Tuesday, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, and scan that QR code and go check out all of our other stuff. We do have a website, everyone. So go to that sometime. All right. Thank you all again. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.